Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, and yes, I am sick. Uh, I am sorry that you're going to have to listen to me uh, sound like Marty McFly for the next uh, 35, 40 minutes or whatever, but hopefully I won't talk all that much. Uh, it is uh, Thursday, fr- February the 2nd. We never record on Thursdays, but sometimes when uh, um, when there's a signing day on Wednesday and you kind of want to talk about it, you would look somewhat foolish talking about it on Tuesday night. We would have spent so much time talking about stuff that just did not matter if we had done it Tuesday night. We are going to talk about signing day. Uh, we're, this is a football-only podcast, which is a rarity this time of year for obvious reasons, but we, we thought that uh, this was the best way to do it, kind of let the... Uh, let the faxes come in, let, let all the information be set, and then we would kind of discuss what the end result was. And spoiler alert, I kind of ruined a little bit of my own hot takes uh, with a piece this afternoon, but uh, I, I think there's plenty here to discuss. Let's go around and re- introduce everybody. Out in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thank you, Brad. David Spence, Who Dave's on the board, at Who Dave's on Twitter. And staff writer Justin Ferber up in Arlington is also back on the pod. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, good to be back. Hope, hope you feel better soon. Uh, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. I don't know why Dave just said his name. That was kind of weird. <laughs> he was kind of weird. I was going to give Brad a hard time, and I felt bad because he can't talk. So I was like, huh, what yeah. did I say? And then he, and then he, and then he bailed. Uh, Cavs bailed. Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional uh, witty banter. Okay, so signing day 2017 has come, and it has gone. Um, not necessarily any surprises, uh, though – Anyone? I, mean, I guess I feel bad if like there were really people out there that thought Virginia was going to like, I don't know, roll in a couple of four or five star commitments yesterday or something. But uh, largely, this class was exactly uh, what we expected it to be, um, which is good and bad in a variety of ways. Um, I <laughs> I feel like every year at the press conference, I'm the one that asked them, "Hey, what were your misses?" Question. Um, so I don't want to necessarily start negative, though we will obviously get into some of the negatives of this class. I want to start positive. Um, I, I put today that my three takeaways, what I thought were somewhat important aspects of this class. Um, I kind of want to ask you guys, give me some, give me some positives, some, some, some things that you think stand out about this class, what you like about it. Uh, Dave, let's start with you. What is something that you like about this class? I mean, there's some good pieces. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to, you finish two and ten with a program that's kind of largely been irrelevant recently, um, with a staff that it wasn't hired for their recruiting acumen. I mean, it wasn't like they're hotshot recruiters. They're they're a program building staff coming across the country and blah blah blah. I mean, it's not like Mike London walked behind Al Groh and you know, we kind of expected better recruiting results from Mike right away. Um, but I mean, in positive speaking, certainly we had. Look, it might not have been the, the big name guys we were looking for the offensive line, but it was clear the staff recognized there was a deficiency there, and they went hard at it in the recruiting class and in in transfers. Um, you know, I think Bulmer was a great late addition, and then you know Swoboda kind of late in the process is an interesting guy. Um, yeah, I don't want to go through the whole class, but. Um, and then at linebacker and at defensive backs, you know, I think we added some, some quality players. Um, and then something we had talked about before, but you know, Virginia has struggled with legacy recruits, and we we got a couple in this class who look to be very very good players, not just a name. Um, and then 
getting back into Woodbury Forest is huge for Virginia. Now, great, they've got a head coaching change, so who knows how that will affect it going forward. I think they just named a, someone from North Carolina their head, new head coach. Um, but, you know, getting back at Woodbury Forest just because of the, you know, what always scratched our head. A lot of those guys went to Notre Dame over the past few years. Uh, believe what C.J. Bro, CJ Procise was Woodbury Forest. Um, so I think getting back in there is a positive. Um, but yeah, I mean, just bodies. It, it, look, we need, we need more bodies, and, and they did get them in the positions. You know, it's not five-star Alabama recruits, but, you know, you got to start where you can start, and they, I think they – they did that pretty well. Um, I don't want to get to the negatives. There's a couple they didn't, but so I, I want to kind of piggyback on that for a second. Something that I like about this class is that there's there's actually I, I, even though you can't say oh this is a top twenty five class or oh this is a top fifteen or even a top thirty five class, but there's there's stuff to like about it. So I think one of the things I like about it is that it's easy to defend. Like if somebody put me on a radio show and said. Um, explain why this class is good. I think there's plenty to talk about. I, I think that uh, the running backs are, I, I, I keep calling it this, and somebody's going to like, I don't know, pull out some random running back class from like 19 blah, 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 and be like, no, no, that. but in, I'm just saying, the the running back group is the deepest that I think Virginia's ever signed. Um, I, I, I like what they got at, at, in, in the secondary. I like the linebackers. I like the mix between uh, Zandir and... Um, Gom, as well as the two long athletic guys, I think that's a nice mix of you know you got guys you can count on, and then you got somewhat um, I don't want to call them projects, but kids that you you think have the potential to develop into something special. Um, and it's funny because the thing the thing that kind of caught me off guard yesterday was Bronco saying that he didn't think he had a nose tackle in this class, and there's several guys who I guess are going to try to prove him wrong on that front. But I, I think there are lots of options. The only the only big negative, of course and we'll get into it in a minute, is on the offensive line, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll delve that out. But I, I do like that one of the things I like about this uh, this class is that there are things to like about it and that it is easily defendable because it does address some needs. I mean, there are going to be people that are down on Bronco because of 2-10. and 10. There are going to be people that are down on the staff because they didn't come in and recruit at, like, Mike London level. Um, but there's, I, I think I can see some of the, I can see some of the reasoning and, and the connections with this class um, and I can see why Bronco re- refers to it as foundational versus transitional. Ferber, what about you? I think uh, strengths, you have to look at the running back group and be pretty happy with what they did there. Uh, not only did they find uh, three good players, but they found three players. Um, that you know that group only returns two guys, and you lose your top two running backs, so it's going to be important for at least one of these guys, I think, to come in and be able to play right away. And not only did you get them in, but you also got them early enrolling. Um, two of them at least. So I think that's a big positive. All of them kind of bring something different to the table, which is good. Uh, you know, with Peacock, you have somebody who could bruise and run between the tackles. And he's also got a little bit of speed as well. And then you have, you know, Atkins is kind of like a all-purpose back. He can kind of do everything. And then uh, Kier, is it Kier or Kier? Does anybody know? Uh, Kier. 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 Okay, yeah. Um, he can – catch the ball in the backfield and, you know, he can do a lot of different things and I could see him almost being used as a hybrid type player. So uh, I like what they did there. I think they did a pretty good job uh, at the private school level. Um, you know, you talked about Woodbury Forest. They also pulled two kids from the same school in Connecticut, um, a couple kids from Maryland. 
and uh, D.C. They go to private schools. They also did a pretty good job up here in the 703. Um, they did lose a commit from Alexandria, but they ended up with uh, Tommy Christ and Atkins and Brian Delaney. Um, so that's a nice little haul from this part of the country or this part of the state. Um, disappointing areas, I guess that's where we would go next. So what do you guys think are like the most disappointing, you know, like the misses? I mean, that's uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to say Becton because no, you can't. I, I think that's fair. I, I think it's fair. I, I don't think you can I mean, have this discussion without being honest. Well, that's what that's the reason I'm I'm trying. I, I'm having a tough time with Becton. Like since he committed to Louisville, and then you hear Bronco talk, and you think about the buy-in. Did he really ever have the buy-in? I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to put that on the guy, but I, I'm I'm kind of a little over the Becton stuff at this point, just because of. You know, it's not like we just found out yesterday. We had some inklings that all of a sudden his mind changed. But, um, and I think you know, adding Volmer late and the potential of adding a couple of grad transfers makes it a little bit easier to swallow. But, um, I mean, when you, I think when you combine Becton with, with Hunt and uh, Brandon Spees, Spees or Spays, I don't know how you pronounce it, and then I'm forgetting one other one. Um, I think we lost one more. T- Kreider, Kreider, yeah, Kreider, Kreider. Yeah, I think Kreider kind of falls into the mix of what we had, what we ended up with. Um, man, those guys, you know, were targets early on that, you know, clearly we had a shot with. Um, and then not getting a true nose. Who knows what happened with the Ochoa, uh, Sammy Ochoa? Um, I saw he was in, I guess he's visiting Annapolis today, so I don't think he even signed anywhere yet. Um, and, and even Bronco addressed that yesterday as something that was bothering him. Um, but for me, look, I don't think it matters in one class, but we didn't do very well in the state of Virginia. Um, you know, I, I guess that's, I don't know if that's an old way of thinking now. You know, you've got to do well in state, but historically Virginia and Virginia Tech have done well when they have rosters that are state dominated, you know, loaded with guys from, from the state of Virginia. Um, not having any recruits from the 804 or 757 that's that's strange man it's it's strange and you hope it's not a trend because i don't think you can build long-term recruiting success without having players from there um so that's something yeah i don't know if it's a disappointment because obviously there wasn't a player there they could get but it's something that you've got to keep an eye on moving forward that i think could be a big problem if it doesn't get better um you know, that's just that's the way you build teams. It's hard to build teams across you know across the country. You don't, you don't have the built-in connections and, and whatnot. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, it's just you know the individual players. You might take a kid uh, that is you know like uh, depth, or you would consider him depth, but then he might help you get another kid down the road that's better than that. Um, that kid that can you know an impact player. And then those impact players can get other players. And so I am concerned that they weren't able to pull kids from the Richmond in the 757 area. I will say this year that the dynamics of what happened in the state are a little different because a lot of the 757 kids, there weren't a lot of uh, kids that, that there are so many top end kids that were just, uh, I think, destined to go out of state. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit offline yesterday, but like uh, the Laybourne kid, like they had no shot at him. So you start to look down the line a little bit. And I mean, like, uh, Owusu Kormo, I mean, like, th- that was a kid that they did a good job with at first, and, and then I think he started to get the offers, and I don't think he was ever truly sold on Virginia. Well, obviously, he wasn't really truly sold on Virginia. It was just his best offer at the time, I guess, that 
that he, you know, he thought he would go to UVA, but then when the interest level picked up, you know, they weren't able to keep him. Um, so I am a little bit, and, and then of the Woodbury Forest kids, one's from Texas and one's from Canada. So, I mean, even those kids aren't really in-state kids. They're just kind of local for high school. Um, I mean, we'll see, we'll know really soon whether that's a trend or whether that's an anomaly. Uh, I think it could easily be an anomaly just because of the dynamics of what the state class looked like this year, but it's not something I don't think you can sustain. And my other um, disappointment in this class, I guess, besides not getting a nose tackle is just, I feel like they have a lot of guys that will provide good depth and you might be able to develop them into players down the road, but I don't think there's enough guys that, in this class that are going to contribute right away in the league that are capable of coming right in and playing. You have a lot of guys that are like, okay, this fills a need position wise. And that's great. Cause I mean, that's the level of organization that they didn't have under previous coaching steps. But I mean, a lot of those guys are going to be cool in their heels for a few years while they develop. Um, and that's fine. But at the same time, you have to be able to sprinkle in, I think more guys that are able to be impact players uh, I mean, all over the field. It doesn't really matter. Um, and I think they did that at the running back position and maybe at defensive back, but across the board the rest of the way, there's individual kids you might like. But, like, I like Zane Zandier a lot. But um, I think that there's just a lot of room to grow as far as being able to get kids that – and I'm not even talking about five-star kids, but a, a high, high three-star type kids that can fit and can play here. Yeah, I, I kind of want to – let's get into this a little bit. So – as I was, we were there's lots of conversation yesterday <clears throat> between various media folks and, and and being a recruiting guy. That's the day that everybody wants to talk to me. You know, hey Brad, what do you think of this? Hey Brad, what do you think? Which is normal. That happens every year. It's cool. Um, they want to know who the best prospect was or who this and that. And the thing that I'm always struck by is that the storylines that they go for the the folks who don't cover recruiting on a regular basis. And it was it was funny because like do you remember it wasn't that long ago that there was this whole like thing between the folks who covered Virginia Tech and folks who covered UVA about like who had an offer from both schools. Do you guys remember this? It was like during the, the earlier yeah, London years. Yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, and yeah. it was like this whole thing about like, well, this kid picked Virginia, but he didn't have a Virginia Tech offer, so like basically he wasn't good. It was like the standard that the, that folks used was. If if a, if a player had an offer from both schools or something, um, right? And it was just a way of them kind of. Well, I'm not saying like it was a lot from the fans too of just like they didn't want to admit that Mike London was beating them on the trail. Right, exactly. So it's easier to say that he's not when it's like, well, we didn't even offer that kid. I right, mean, that's a good good for them, exactly. but we don't need him. Like, and so yesterday the 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 topic became location, right? Well, you know, they don't have anybody from the from Richmond. They don't have anybody from Hampton Roads or Tidewater. And that's true. And there's no way to, I mean, there's no way to cookie cut, I mean, to, to sugarcoat cookie cut, to sugarcoat that, right? It doesn't make any sense to try because it, it, you know, it, it, it's a fact. But would this class be demonstrably better if, uh, um, I don't know, PK Keir was at, uh, at Bethel or at uh, Kikitan? I mean, no, right? He's, if it, do, you feel, do you feel what I'm saying? Like, I agree that you have to go in state because it makes the most sense for your resources. And Bronco made a point to talk about this, that one of the things that he has continued to be impressed by is the amount of players that they can get from within four to eight hours away. That like when you, by the time you get out to like eight hours, that 
that that uh, footprint is huge in terms of the number of players. And so I guess for them it is you know it's a significant change. So I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, I think that they have to do a better job recruiting in Virginia, okay? But I think that's more tied to they have to do a better job recruiting than it does that they have to do specific areas. And so the the lack of commit or the lack of signees from Richmond or from 757 is important to note if it becomes a trend, right? If, if all of a sudden Virginia can't get players from two of the three like most um well-stocked area for lack of a better description right if they can't if they can't fish in these two ponds that puts an immense amount of pressure on them to one fish the crap out of the other pond in the 703 but also to be able to go find players everywhere else um at the same time i i think the bigger issue is recruiting in general and i think one of the things you saw with this class was the staff trying to find not just the type of player in terms of athleticism and 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 what they're looking for in terms of skill sets and all that stuff but also too um trying to find the the way the way they fit as a staff that recruits and what i mean by that is um do they go after players who are going to be in marathon recruitments because that to me the the players who go in marathon recruitments they're the ones that are going to do a hat ceremony right they're the kids that are going to kind of play it up a little bit dave made a point earlier as to whether becton was really bought in or all in I don't know if that's something you can really even necessarily say about a recruit um, because a recruit can think, you know what, I really like the coaches at UVA. I think I could play early there. Um, I can get a good education there, and it's and it's close to home. And then they start to take some visits, and suddenly, you know what, traveling's not that big a deal to me. You know, I, I, don't, I don't mind it all that much. Um, and suddenly maybe the homebody thing doesn't work, and then they see – you know, they get a presentation from Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech's doing all this stuff. It, it makes perfect sense to me, to be co- completely just honest with you, the way his recruitment went. He never he never made a big deal about it. He did not do anything theatrical. And yet, he'll be the one because you heard his name so much. You know, it, it's just like James Robinson. You know, we talked about James Robinson for like a year and a half more, Right. And so when he picked Pitt, everybody was like, I'm so tired of this kid. Blah, blah. What did the kid do? Kid never misled you. It's not like he was committed and then he opened it back up. And, you know, he never said he wasn't going to go to Louisville and then he did. You know, he didn't do anything crazy at the, at the ceremony. He didn't, like, you know, take off a jersey or take off a jacket, a UVA jacket to reveal a Louisville jersey. And sign with, you know, it wasn't like anything like that. So I think as folks who consume recruiting, you have to understand that that Bronco, in, in some aspects, is right. The, the reality TV nature of this thing has kind of become a thing, right? And it's certain. I mean, like, there was a kid who committed from space yesterday or some nonsense, right? And then he didn't even sign with them. Um, but I think that as we watch Virginia go forward, it's going to be, uh, it's gonna be um, a situation where Bronco's just not going to recruit those kids, Um it's you know it's one of those deals, and I think that's uh, you know that's something to, to keep in mind. What you guys got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many of you took the time to like you know. Obviously, Brad was at the the press conference. Bronco had a lot to say there. Um, every time Bronco talks, I mean, as mad as I am, he he can always pull me back around. Um, and then they did the uh, the studio show or whatever ever after it, um, and we talked a little bit about this offline too. But the the thing that struck me is 
despite the fact that you know Bronco was pretty confident when he got, when he got here. You know, talked about going playing after Christmas um, preseason. Went two and ten, but it's not like he's remaking whatever the same core things he talked about last year. He talked about yesterday, as far as buy in and willing to work and earn. That's just who he is, and it's either going to work or it's not. Um, and that's why, like, the more I heard him talk, the, I got to thinking about you know the eight, the combination of why wasn't there anyone from the eight hundred four and the seven five seven. And I wonder if some of that, and this is kind of something that hit me this afternoon, um, those were the two territories covered by the coaches that weren't part of their original staff. So, you know, was it, uh, okay, I found this guy, but now i got to bring him up here and make sure you guys like him because we're not quite sure what you're looking for. Um, so, I mean, we don't know. Um, I mean, y'all think, I don't know, just something to pop in my head, maybe they're just not competent or – that's something that will get better as, as they get used to what Bronco and the staff is looking for. But just about every guy that committed seemed like came up and camped with Virginia. Um, so, you know, it could be something as simple as that. Um, but, well, one thing I noticed this year is that you saw a lot more of like, well, this kid looks like he could be a take on paper, like, but he's not right. Yeah. Like they're not going to take him. So maybe you're right about like the seven, five, seven, like, you know, there's a lot of kids there, but maybe they're not takes. But in the, under the previous staff, they would take anybody who was in a certain talent range yeah. because they didn't really have a scheme. So it was kind of like, well, we just need to get good players here. And I understand that. But like, yeah. but they don't all fit together, right? And then if you change your scheme, then you're left with a bunch of people who don't really fit. So, And I don't think Brock was going to change his scheme. So it kind of like, he's like, all right, I'm just going to recruit to this scheme. Yeah, and the way it works, I mean, what good does it do you to go get a 757 kid, convince him he wants to come to Virginia, then you start, you know, or I don't mean to single out 757, but any kid. Um, you know, you, you blow smoke up his butt, and then he gets here, and he's wearing, he's not able to wear V-Sabers, I mean, and he leaves, and then the first, what good did that really do you? So, um, I mean, let's, and, and the other dynamic is, you know, I hate to even bring this up on a Virginia podcast, but, you know, Virginia Tech was a little... Look, they can say all they want, but Mike London did do some damage down there, and that's one. That's the first thing Fuente talked about when he got there. I think his first tweet was about the seven five seven. So just, we'll we'll see what happens with that over the next couple of years. It, look, yeah, I don't think Sana Day they had a great, a very good recruiting class for them, but I don't think yesterday went as well as they would have hoped. Um, so you know, you've got one staff down there saying all the right things and another staff down there say, come earn your right to play for our two and 10 team. Um, you know, that's, yeah, look, you, it's not hard to piece it together. That's going to be a tough sell. Um, and on in the, the other monkey you know, elephant in the room is the negative recruiting. And I know, you know, you had kind of mentioned that some of that Brad, and I don't know how, I don't know if we want to name any players, but we know one, you know, right? We, we know one who that probably affected. Right. And that's out there. I mean, the Aiden Howard case is still open. Um, and, you know, that's – look, if, if you give a – if your school like Virginia went 2-10, and 10, you're, you're, you're viewed as being tough academically, and then you've got this, this lawsuit that the school can't talk about because it's an open lawsuit. Right. Look, you, you've got plenty of ways to negatively recruit. Yeah. And then also the facilities. 
Oh, like, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to get into Clemson's whole thing, but you saw, everybody's seen it by now. It's ridiculous. But and that's the high end. But I mean, like when Tony Bennett got to UVA, right? UVA was in a tough spot. They weren't really recruiting that well, but there was a lot of talent in the proc in the you know in the region, and they have an incredible facility, and they're in the ACC, and you can sell new UVA's football staff this time could sell new. They couldn't sell winning really. They can't really sell facilities. And then all these other schools are kind of in an arms race facility-wise. So I think it's even more important now for UVA to really find the money to build this new football facility. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because the indoor facility isn't moving the needle anymore because everybody has one. Yeah, I mean, it's nice, but it's also not. And and it also, I got to say, too, JPJ plays a role because everything is in that building. So like, even if you're an athlete and you're not a basketball player, everything is still in that building. But let me let me go back a step. One of the things that you'll find, okay, is that the 757 has the top-end talent, right? But go back and look at the state rankings for this year, okay? A lot of kids from this state are going to go out of state. I, I know that the people think that, like, oh, when Virginia and Virginia Tech were good, they kept, that's somewhat true. The reality is that what Virginia Tech did was Virginia Tech went out and recruited kids who were three stars, and they turned them into something better, okay? Cam Chancellor was not like the end-all, be-all, right? He wasn't a, you know, a top-five national recruit. They turned him into something. They developed him, okay? What, where, where Tech really lost its footing as a program was when it started to try to get too big for its britches and started to try to recruit in these elite-level r- recruitments. And they got away from their formula, and listen, I'm not saying what Justin Fuente is doing is, is this or that or anything. I'm just saying that, like, the, the idea is that, like, Virginia and Virginia Tech, have, when, they're, when they're good, they've controlled the in-state talent. What has happened in reality has been when Virginia and Virginia Tech were better, either Virginia Tech was developing kids and adding and sprinkling in a couple of really highly recruited kids like a Michael Vick. And when Virginia was better, they had had at least a couple of strong recruiting classes and were able to turn that into something, Right. So you, you brought in kids like Terry Kirby, or you, you brought in kids like Ahmad Brooks, or you brought in kids like um, Quinn Blanding, okay? But the, but the by and large of it, the vast majority is always going to be three-star kids. It's always player development. The reason that Mike London is not the coach at the University of Virginia right now is because his staff did not develop. Full stop. That's it. That's the, that's the list. And what Ferber said just a second ago is so true. New coaching staffs who have tradition, can sell new and tradition. You can sell playing time. You can sell new. When you are a staff like Broncos that has historically won, you can sell winning. And then you lose. And you no longer can sell that. And you don't have the facilities. And you don't have the tradition. You're not going to have anything to walk into the, to, to somebody and, and, and get attention. The only thing you can do is go out and find kids who fit what you want to do and develop them. That's what Tony Bennett did. You're exactly right. When Tony took over, he couldn't just like walk out and be like, hey, five-star kid, come to Virginia. What did he do? He turned Joe Harris and Akil Mitchell into somebody. And then he was able to, to, to recruit a little bit higher than that. So he was able to get Justin Anderson and Malcolm Brogdon. And now he can recruit a little higher than that. So now he can bring in five top 100 players, right? And, and still redshirt them, which is still crazy. The, the reality for Bronco right now, is that he needs to have an in-state pipeline. And maybe the in-state pipeline is to those schools that he knows those kids are going to be able to, to make the grade. And he doesn't have to 
to reach, right? And let's be honest, I'm not trying to be mean here, but there are a lot of kids in the, in the 757 who are really gifted at athletics that are not going to be able to cut it in certain, in certain colleges, okay? When's the last kid from the 757 that went to Stanford? A lot of kids from 703 go to Stanford. It's a handful of kids go from Richmond. 757 is a uber-talented area, don't get me wrong, but a lot of those kids are not going to project in, in, in a certain way. And so, yeah, you're not going to be their choice for a lot of those kids. Now, that's not to say that you won't find some. And that's not to say that there aren't programs down there that, that produce them. I'm just saying, by and large, it's about where you put your time and energy. And Broncos all about efficiency. And that's not to say that, that they won't be recruiting the crap out of the 757. Of course they will. They're great players there. And, and as he said yesterday, if there's anybody who personifies to him what the 757 is, it's, it's Marcus Hagens. Because there's a kid, came out of Hampton, went to Fork Union, came out, and he not only was a great student, but a great player, and now a great person, and he, and he conveys that, um, that, that path and that message. To, you know, hard work pays off. I mean, that guy grinded his way into the NFL, which is just, if you think about it, kind of amazing. Um, so I think what Bronco and his staff have to do they have to do a better job of <clears throat> being more personable with the high school coaches. You know, I think that was a, a, a an immediate hit from Mike London. Is all these coaches knew him, right? None of these coaches know Bronco. And 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 like Dave said a minute ago, when when you listen to him talk for a while, you start to just yeah, you, he makes sense. You know, you kind of just go along with it. You you can tell when he's that he's not he's not a guy who's going to BS you. He doesn't. You know, he he said the thing yesterday: the ones we wanted didn't want us, and the ones that wanted us we didn't want. Like. Have you ever heard a coach just say that point blank? Like, it was kind of refreshing, to be quite honest. I don't necessarily agree with him on the whole, um, you know, you don't want to you, you um, bring in kids who are, um, you know, having dramatic uh, revelations on their picks or whatever. But I understand the sentiment. And I understand where he's coming from. He's, he's extrapolating that out to, you know, work ethic and, and things, you know, team mentality. I get that. But what he has to do, and what I think what his staff has to do, is they have to do more of a collective getting to know. And that might take some time, and it's, but, it, but beyond anything else, 2 and 10. That's all that, that's all that mattered, 2 and 10. Because you, you, the guys you had going in, you were able to hold on to because they were all in. They knew who you were. They already met you. They spent time with you. They came to you, right? You brought kids for, for visits and stuff, and they still, I, I still to this day don't know how this is possible. They would get the crap kicked out of them on Saturday and get a commitment on Sunday. But nobody was going to start. Nobody, you were, nobody who was in, recru- in their recruitment was going to all of a sudden start giving you more attention when you're 2-10. and 10. And I think that in and of itself is something that's going to, you know, they got to win some games. they got to put some scraps together. they got to be able to show kids that they are ready um, to give them a place for them to succeed. And I think the facilities piece of it is actually, um, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an unsaid sort of reality right kids 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 are not stupid like they see it they can feel it and so they come up there and they see a place that they can tell is like not that great and they're like huh what am i do here you know what do they think of football or not that interested in them right yeah that's true too that's true too yeah i mean i i think at this point you know off the field and you guys might disagree with me i think the two biggest miscalculations the staff made or the two biggest missteps they made was one, when they got here, they were a little enamored with our talent, you know, speed and, you know, comparing it to what they thought based on our record and what they were used to 
not playing in a conference for the last few years. And I think we tried to overlook that. Um, we, the fans, tried to overlook that because we, we wanted it to be true. Um, and I think they got a brutal slap in the face against Richmond and then and moving forward. Um, and that's something that I think that happens quite, yeah, you know, I'm sure that happens at other places too. It's just this one kind of hits close to home. Um, and getting to that facilities piece, it also, like, not to go completely off on a tangent here, but when Bronco was first hired, don't y'all remember him like mentioning right away how yes. urgent it was to get a facility? Yes. And then he didn't talk about it again. Well, what was he going to say? He started say? talking about going to a bowl game. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it's like you got everyone excited about the facility. Like, I, I wonder if he, I wish he could go, maybe he doesn't, but, you know, part of me wonders, look, fundraising for this new facility is not going very well. I mean, it's not. Um, you know, Virginia fans have been asked to donate a lot of money for a lot of projects. And, um, I mean, I, I kind of wonder if Bronco hadn't been so, hey, we might be able to run right away. You're not going to be waiting so long. That maybe the checkbooks would, if he had come back and said, you know what, we're, we're away from away from winning. This is what we need. We need a facility. We need this. We need this. Maybe it would have helped a little bit. Probably completely off base. But, um, but yeah, it's... It is an issue. I mean, you you look at facilities. You know, Clemson's one thing, but I mean, Virginia Tech's facilities would you know, look. I think they're hideous, but they're nice. I mean, there's a lot of them. They're um, nice, hideous, and that stuff matters, man. That stuff matters. It's funny how we want to say it doesn't matter, but when people come, when basketball recruits come to the JPJ, yep, we exactly like love right. that they're blown yep. away with it, right? Yep, you're exactly right because that's what ends up happening, right? I'll I'll get asked a question. So what? Hey, so Brad, the kids coming to top 100. What do they think? What do they think of JPJ? That that always happens. You're exactly right. And, and look, I don't want to get too too in the weeds on this because I I, yeah. I do believe that there's a lot of, there's a lot. I think your 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 points about the mistakes they made are straight, straight on. I still think that treating it as year twelve as opposed to year one, he 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 he's already talked about that that was his biggest mistake. And and if and and I wish I wish I could like put into words the different vibe. At this signing day than last year, and I know last year was was all about like, um, like uh, music getting, videos. Well, no, no, no. They were like getting to know getting to know everybody. So like I, he was he was just jovial and he was happy and excited. Man, this year he was he he almost I don't want to say he yelled at us, but it was like he was super duper intense from like the start, you know. And then Bronco, we were talking about this. Uh, Ed Miller and I from the uh, Virginia Pilot. Bronco's a guy who likes to frame everything, right? It's like in his mind for him to think about stuff, he frames it, right? So he starts talking about like, you know, this is a the, last year's was a transitional class, and this one's a foundational class, and everything he said from that point on was through that prism. That's the way he. So like, I think the the way he approaches everything, he says that the you know the plan hasn't changed dramatically. I kind of feel like the, the the plan hasn't changed, but the frame has, because to him, like, and Dave was talking about this on signing day like the differences between their social media presence on signing day and their social media presence on signing day this year right dramatically different like UVA football was still pushing out stuff and obviously you know doing the the bios and the videos and the highlights and stuff but like there was not a whole like you know they had they had a music basically a music video last year you know but that was back before they had you know had had taken the 2016 season on the chin so I can understand that for them a lot has changed um, and certainly they're, they're in a better position going forward than they were at that point. Um, you know, I still think there are a lot of things that have to get ironed out, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, 
I look at this class and I see lots of things that can stand out. And that's kind of where I want to go next. What I want you to give me two guys in this class that kind of stand out to you. Either let's kind of stay away from maybe uh, Crowell and Atkins because we kind of have talked about them, I feel like, a lot. Uh, I'll start. I, I want to go two specific places. Um, Tommy Christ, uh, one of the earliest commitments. Didn't he pick up a, an, an offer from like Ole Miss randomly in the fall? Um, which I don't believe that he ever really entertained. Um, uh, and, and John Curvin, a, a tight end committed to the previous staff, com- continue to stay committed to the, to the current staff, decommits, gets some offers, and then recommits at a different position. To this day, um, aside from a couple of times this year where a kid committed publicly without trying to commit to the staff and then finding out that they did not have a spot, um, that's still the weirdest recruitment. But the reason I pull those two guys out is because they're defensive line guys. Um, I really think that one of the one of the things that this program truly needs, as great as it, 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 as good as Andrew Brown was last year, it really it really um, it really showed me when when this team got contributions at defensive end, it was very very good, right? Remember when when Andrew Brown was playing well or when he wasn't hurt. You know what I mean? Like, and he's blowing people up, and you're that—that that was the ticket. And and even the even some games where Eli Handback was was playing well, I just I just feel like defensive end is a is a spot where Virginia needs some playmakers, and I and I want to see what can happen to these two kids as they kind of develop in the system. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and be Jordan Williams, um, but I do think the development is is going to have to be a cornerstone of what this staff does. And those are two guys I think. That have a lot of uh, a lot of clay for them to work on. Ferber, let's go to you. Give me give me two guys. Um, maybe two of the. I mean, we got a lot of options here. Talk to me about two kids that kind of caught your attention at least in terms of what you think they might be able to do. Yeah. So one. Um, well, for to- two totally different reasons. One, Zane Zandier. Um, I just like his film. I think he's a player. I think he's going to be a perfect fit for what Bronco wants to do. He can rush off the edge. He's aggressive. He's a good enough athlete um, where I think he's going to have no problem covering people in space if he needs to. I mean, he's a wide receiver in high school, played in a very competitive part of the country. Um, and I think that he's going to be like a perfect fit for, for what they want to do. I mean, he had good offers and he loved what he saw here, I guess, and just felt like he was a good fit. And I think that's a great sign for a kid like that. Um, another one, it's not really related to football per se, but I think that Joey Blunt needs to get a lot of credit for kind of holding things together. Um, he was the best recruiter in this class. He went out and tried to get every kid he could get. Um, I think he probably had some impact on the Sean Smith decision. Um, and I, I like Sean Smith a lot too as a player on offense, but I really think that Joey Blunt could be a good leader for this team in a couple of years. And obviously they're going to need safety help pretty soon with a couple of guys leaving, um, after this coming season. So I think he's definitely an underrated player. He has a good film. And I think sometimes those Georgia kids just get overlooked because there's just so much talent in that state that some kid, you know, kids get under-evaluated, but they're just playing against such good competition that sometimes, you know, they don't, you don't notice them right away. You know, they're a little under the radar. So, so those are the two guys that stand out to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I like all the guys you guys have mentioned. I mean, it's funny. It, yeah, I think we're all would we're hoping this class would be better at the beginning of the year. But when maybe it's yeah, I know what it is because it happens every year. I just I'm seeing only the good things. But there's some really good players in this class. Um, 
Zandier would, would have been one of mine, but Gom, I think just because of the need, we're going to have it inside linebacker. Um, I was excited by his film. He looks tough. And then if you get a chance to listen to Patingo talk about him yesterday, man, Patingo was crushing pretty hard on him. Um, just talking about how nasty and physical he is. And, you know, I think we need that. Um, and he's going to have to come in and learn pretty quickly because, you know, I, I'm, I'd be shocked if, if their plan is and have him um, taken over for, uh, for Kaiser when he leaves. And the other one, it's kind of a toss up. I'm not going to go to the one we talked <laughs> to, to the quarterback because I don't want to jinx it, but um, I really like Tyler Fannin a lot just because, you know, of the importance of the center position. And you, he seems like a smart kid. He, he looks really good. He got some great offers. Um, and again, if we can, I don't think we need him to be able to contribute this year. It'd be nice if he could get in the rotation and be ready to take over uh, moving forward. But uh, anytime, you know, he looks like somebody could potentially be a three-year starter, which any any position on the offensive line, you can potentially get a three-year starter given our recent issues there. I think it's a plus. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break the break the rule here, and I'm gonna toss out uh, one more. Um, Terrell Jana. Um, so Ferber has a roommate who uh, is a former quarterback at the collegiate level, and I'm going to tell the story because I have so much voice to tell this because I'm sure <laughs> yeah. everybody's enjoying hearing me, Marty McFly, my way through this. But bold and, move, Frank. So basically, he was like, oh, he was watching the film. He's like, but yeah, who's that kid? Um, and I got to say, like that makes sense to me. Like that, I, I think Terrell has a really bright future, and I, and I don't even know what. Um, what side of the ball he's going to be on, and and you know I think that's the that's the mark of a of a of a true prospect, right? Is when you don't even know where they're going to line up, and you're like, yeah, he's going to be good. Um, like if you told like I would have thought the same thing about Juan Thornhill too. Like, oh, he's going to be fine. Doesn't matter where you play him. Um, all right, before we wrap up uh, our national signing day a day later show, I want w- one quick grade analysis on the class. Uh, we will you, do. You whole, go first, Brad. <laughs> all right, I would give it. Um, I would give it a C plus. Um, I would probably have been um, able to give it a um, uh, a B if they had had either one more lineman um, or one more uh, defensive lineman. Um, but I think across the board it addresses some needs. It just didn't get far enough. What do you think, Dave? You go next because you got all healthy. Right. I mean, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think you're about right with the C plus. Um, to keep it quick, I mean, look, the staff's pretty good. If they didn't have these grad transfers coming in, I don't know if I, like, I could give it a C plus if that makes sense. Like, I'm wondering maybe it's a B minus if you get the three offensive linemen, grad transfers, the quarterback, um, and then you know, keeping Kaz- keeping Kaiser and Blanding certainly helped too. Um, uh, this like, what would this class be if you didn't have those? I don't know if it's a C plus. Ferber, what about you? I think it's a C. Um, from a talent level, honestly, I mean, like, there are kids that I like in this class, but there's a bottom of this class that I think is, um, I don't want to say bad, because I don't think that's fair, but I think there's a lot of projects. Honestly. Developmental. Right. I think there's just a lot of projects. I mean, they took a kid the other day that didn't have any offers and nobody really knew who he was. He he wasn't in the database. Like, that's true. um, I mean, 
and that's cool. Like his film looks good, but like I said earlier, I think his competition level is pretty low. But right, um, I mean that kind of speaks to where they are. Um, I think if you added Becton to this class, because I think he was so ready um, physically, I think that that might have even moved it up to a B, just because that's a position of need, and I think that he right. would have been a beast. Um, it's just there's a. I mean, you could we could look back on this class five years from now and say it was an A. Just because That's true. if they can That's if true. they can develop players, then they have a lot of size and speed. You know, Snowden, you know, he's like a six eight defensive end and or outside linebacker, and then you have a bunch of linemen that are raw, but they look good like good athletes and right. a couple other kids that could turn out to be good, but it's too early to really champion this class as like a great class. Right. Well, I think uh I think it's a good place to put a pen in it. I appreciate everybody dealing with my voice tonight. Uh, appreciate everybody out there for sticking with us for one more cycle, uh, for uh, for obviously giving us a listen as well uh, on the podcast. Appreciate all the support. Uh, for David Spence and for Justin Ferber and Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com, thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.